Okay, so we had the second test. That means last third of the course is starting. It's November 2nd already. We'll be out of here in no time. It's hard to believe that we've come two-thirds through the course. So remember, the last third of the course, we have a lot of presentations to get through. So that's going to be the bulk of it. But again, we're going to look at things in more detail. Right? Before, the last couple of lectures, we looked at T-cells in more detail. Today, we're going to look at B-cells in more detail. And then, really, this, the last third of the course will go into sort of the malfunctioning of the immune system, right? when things go wrong for the immune system. We've been looking so far at, right? we're moving right along, we have a pathogen come in, we're responding to the pathogen. We respond to the pathogen, we destroy the pathogen, we get rid of the pathogen, we come back to normal, and we wait again for another pathogen to show up before things start to happen. Right? But there are a lot of times, a lot of different times, like hypersensitivity, autoimmune disease, immunodeficiencies, when things will go wrong with the immune system. So we'll basically be looking at those things as well. So we talked about T cells in detail. Let's talk about B cells in detail. Right, let's talk about what's happening to B cells inside the bone marrow. Let's talk about B cells when they leave the bone marrow and make their way into the periphery. We know that when those hematopoietic stem cells get the signal, they go down the lymphoid pathway, they're going to turn into T cells or B cells. Right? We talked a little bit about what's happening to T cells. Let's concentrate on B cells. So what we can see when it comes to B cell development and B cell differentiation, we can basically see two different phases of that B cell differentiation. So the first phase is called an antigen-independent phase, and that's going to occur inside the bone marrow. So this is as those immature cells are differentiating into B cells. And then we're going to see the antigen-dependent phase. So once that B cell matures into a mature B cell and it leaves the bone marrow and it goes out for life on its own out in the periphery, then we're going to see the antigen-dependent phase and we can see changes to those B cells out in the periphery. Right. So right. we have our progenitor B cells. We're going to get a whole bunch of different, well, we'll talk about a whole bunch of different stages until we get to a mature B cell. Remember that mature B cell has an antigen receptor on its cell surface. It's that, that uh, monomeric IgM monomer. It is the antigen receptor itself. It's going to leave the bone marrow, make its way out into the periphery. It's going to come into contact with an antigen, right? because now that's the antigen-dependent phase. An antigen-independent phase, that's when it's maturing inside the bone marrow. Right? Outside the bone marrow, when it comes into contact with an antigen, it's going to be able to differentiate and then turn into a memory cell. But we'll talk all about that right in the next couple of minutes or so. So I'm just going to turn this whole thing over because it's, it's hard to sort of go step by step by step. I don't know how to make PowerPoint go from here to here to here rather than going from here to here to here. So we'll have to just turn them all over at once. So what we're going to look at inside the bone marrow, right? again, these immature forms are hard to look at histologically, right? They all look the same. 
but we have a whole bunch of different membrane markers, right? We have those CD molecules that we can see, so we can see changes that are occurring on the cell membrane of those immature B cells, and then we can use a whole bunch of different molecular markers to look to see what's taking place inside the bone marrow itself. So we can delineate a whole bunch of different stages as those B cells are maturing. So the first sort of stage we can see are the pro-B cells, and the pro-B cells we're seeing the heavy chain rearrange, right? We said that we were going to see those, those RAG genes being turned on. We were going to see the D gene segments and the J gene segments and the V gene segments start to be activated. So that's what we can see here in the, in the pro-B cell. We can see, right, if we look at the DNA, we can see D and J's coming together. In the pre-B cell, now we can see the VDs and Js come together. So we do have a mu heavy chain. We also have a light chain. It's called a surrogate light chain. We'll get to that in a, in a little while. In the immature B cell, fully rearranged, now we're going to be able to get either the kappa or the lambda light chain. So now we're getting closer to making an, uh, an immunoglobulin molecule. And then finally, when we get to the mature B cell stage, rearranged heavy chain, uh, the heavy chain is going to be either the mu or the gamma by this stage. Kappa or lambda light chains, we have a fully mature B cell. It's now able to leave the bone marrow. It makes its way out into the periphery. It comes into contact with antigen because now it can respond to antigen. It becomes an activated B cell, right? And the activated B cell is now going to contain either Right, IgA, IgG, right, any sort of the different immunoglobulin classes we were talking about. When it gets to be the next stage from activated to a plasma cell, a plasma cell is basically an antibody factory. And that's when we're going to start releasing again, right, IgA, IgE, IgG, all sorts of the different classes that we've been talking about. So this is what we'll, go, this is what we'll talk about in terms of how B cells learn, well not learn, but how B cells are turning into B cells themselves. So, that first cell, that pro-B cell, we're starting to rearrange immunoglobulin genes, right? We're basically starting to rearrange the heavy chain genes. And once we get the heavy chain genes rearranged, we can then get to be a pre-B cell. And the pre-B cell is the earliest of the B cells, the earliest of the cell types, where we can detect right, a synthesized immunoglobulin product. Right? It contains the cytoplasmic mu, right, the IgM, right, the mu heavy chain, and it has the V and the C region. So the heavy chain itself is the first one to be manufactured. It's the first one to be brought into the endoplasmic reticulum. At this point, we don't have any light chains. We don't have kappa chains. We don't have uh, lambda chains. What we have is this protein moiety, right, for lack of a better word, that's called the surrogate light chain. And the surrogate light chain is in there to be able to sort of be involved with some sort of signaling, okay? It's a non-covalently linked light chain-like structure, and this lambda-5 part is sort of like the, the constant region, and this V pre-B is sort of like the variable region. So it's able to sit and take the place of the light chain in this sort of semi-immunoglobulin molecule, this semi-antigen receptor molecule that's on the cell surface, 
and it appears that it's a receptor for stromal cell interaction. Remember when we talked about uh, hematopoiesis and we said that the stromal cells that were making up the, the population of the bone marrow, those fat cells, those fibroblast cells, were probably involved with hematopoiesis, that they were probably releasing some sort of growth factors or cell factors or they were delivering signals to cells inside the bone marrow, into those hematopoietic cells inside the bone marrow via receptor-mediated uh, interactions. And it's thought that this surrogate light chain, immunoglobulin heavy chain, you know, sort of molecule that's sitting on the surface is doing exactly that, right? That the stromal cells are involved with Right, stopping V to VDJ because it's already been done. They're inducing V to J so that the light chains can be made. Right, so something is taking place inside the bone marrow with these pre-B cells that are stimulating them further down the pathway. Right? And again, because of this surrogate light chain, because it's inside the bone marrow, the cells can't recognize or respond to any antigens at all. Right? They're in there rearranging with those surrogate light chains. The next stage was those immature B cells. Okay. Now, the kappa chains or the light chains right, can be detected. They've come online. They've started to rearrange. They're making their way right, towards the endoplasmic reticulum so that now, instead of having that surrogate light chain become part of that immunoglobulin, you know, sort of complex on the surface, we are now going to start to assemble a fully functional, well, not fully functional, a fully recognizable, right, mu immunoglobulin heavy chain, the antigen receptor on the cell surface, right? So the cells themselves have that membrane immunoglobulin molecule. They can recognize antigen, but they don't proliferate or differentiate in response to the antigen. Right? They're just starting to, to make their way up and make their way along. So from that pro-B cell where we didn't have any sort of immunoglobulin, all we could detect was immunoglobulin heavy chain inside the, the, the cell itself. Two, now we have the surrogate light chain in the pre-B cell, and now in the immature B cell, right, we're going to have this immunoglobulin molecule on the cell surface. It's going to be able to respond. It's going to be able to recognize antigen. What's taking place here, it's thought, is okay, that some sort of education is taking place. Because here, only 10% of these immature B cells are going to be able to leave the bone marrow. So it's sort of like what's happening inside the thymus. When we talked about the thymus, we said that anywhere from 95 to 99% of those T cells aren't leaving the thymus. So the same thing is taking place inside the B cell. Because, again, remember, those rearrangements that are taking places, the ability of that antibody molecule to be able to recognize an unlimited, well, a, a virtual unlimited amount of epitopes, when we talked about that, those epitopes are still going to be our epitopes. So just like we had to get rid of all those T cells that were going to be able to respond to our epitopes, we have to be able to get rid of the B cells that are going to be able to respond to our same epitopes. Right? The same way we talked about with the T cells themselves. 
right? We're going to have to eliminate those B cells that have a high affinity to self. And how that takes place, eh, we're not quite sure. It appears that it's some sort of negative selection, right? And that's going to be able to maintain the tolerance to self. It appears that even some of this education is taking place out in the periphery as well because B cells are found to be destroyed out in the periphery as well, right? So any of these B cells that could potentially respond to self, they got to be eliminated too. Right? Just because we don't have this special, you know, sort of university where T cells, right, are able to go, and those B cells don't have that sort of a university, the same problems of those rearranged immunoglobulin molecules that could potentially recognize self-epitopes have to be destroyed. And it is these immature B cells, that's where that is taking place. Right? We don't know a lot about it, but just like T cells, the B cells have to be destroyed that would possibly main, that would possibly respond to self. And this is where it's going to take place. Before they leave the bone marrow, they're going to become educated. Once they leave the bone marrow, right, they're fully functional, fully able to respond to antigen. And hopefully, those antigens don't include self-epitopes. Right? Those immature cells, cytokine interleukin-7 is a major growth factor for these cells. So you get a lot of interleukin-7 being manufactured and released inside the bone marrow at this point in time for these cells right, that are taking place. Finally, right, we're getting there, we're getting there, now we become a mature B cell. We're, we're a mature B cell, we've made it through B cell school, right, the negative selection of B cell school, however that's taking place, we've graduated from the bone marrow, and now we leave the bone marrow. So now we're, way, now we're on our way out. So now, we're going to be able to enter that antigen-dependent phase, right? Because as an immature B cell, we had that fully functional immunoglobulin molecule on the cell surface. We could recognize, we could respond, but we don't, right? So we're being educated. Now that we've been educated, now that we've been taught to play nice with the rest of the body and to ignore self-antigens, whatever self-antigens are, now we're leaving the bone marrow, and now we're going to go out and join our brethren out there and look for pathogens, right? They're fully capable of responding to antigens, and the antigens they are going to respond to now, right, are going to be foreign antigens, not self-antigens, right? However that's taking place, that's where the mature B cells are out in the periphery making their way out there, right? The cells have that membrane IgM and probably a little bit of membrane IgD on the cell surface. They're not releasing any sort of immunoglobulin molecules yet because they haven't come into contact with anything to stimulate them yet. Right? They're just waiting to come into contact with antigens now. They are on their way right, towards the lymph nodes, they're on their way towards the spleen, they're on their way into the periphery, right, into the tissue spaces, but the majority of them are probably going to the spleen or they're probably going right down to the, to the, the intestine on the mucosal side to enter Peyer's patches, what those signals are, how those cells know how to go to where they, where they end up, we don't know, right, we're not too confident about as well, but Apparently, right, when we talked about all the, when we talked about the different sort of B cells and where they are, the marginal B cells, the, the B1 B cells, right, they are making their way to specific places in the body, 
We're not quite sure, right? They are all probably receptor-mediated with cell surface molecules. Right? We're not so sure about that. So the cells themselves, they have to encounter antigen. If they don't encounter antigen, they're going to die in a few weeks. Again, we have all these cells leaving the bone marrow, right? So we got about 5 times 10 to the 7th B cells, right? Uh, uh, typically in a mouse. So what's 10 to the 7th? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, right? 5 or 6 million B cells let out every day, right? Only about 10 to the 6th of them are going to be able to survive. So it's a, you know, not a small percentage. And they're going to be able to take their place in the peripheral pool of about 10 to the 8th B cells in the body at any one point in time, right? So most of these cells that are pouring out of the bone marrow aren't going to be able to come into contact with antigen or with a, with a pathogen or with non-self antigens. So we've got to do something with those B cells, and the thing we're going to do with those B cells is we're going to kill them. There are probably some sort of apoptotic signal that's taking place, right? Apoptosis is going to be switched on. If they don't come into contact with antigen, and then they're going to be able to undergo, right, program cell death, cell suicide, and they're going to die. But that's okay. Because, right, tomorrow there's going to be a whole new class of B cells. And the next day there's going to be a whole new class. No, I don't mean... Right? I mean a school class, I don't mean a different class of B cells. I mean there's going to be a whole new population. Right? 10 to the 5 times 10 to the 7th B cells are going to pour out of my bone marrow tomorrow. So that the B cells that poured out of my bone marrow right, a couple of weeks ago didn't come into contact with antigen, they're destroyed. And tomorrow, B cells are going to pour out of my bone marrow, right? and then the next day, and then right for weeks Prior to that, any of those B cells that didn't come into contact with antigen, they're going to be destroyed by apoptosis as well. Question? Is that total peripheral pool number referring to B cells that come out during different days? This is referring to the number of B cells that are like sort of in the body at any one point in time. Right? It doesn't matter when they came. Some of them, came, some of them probably came out years ago. Right? Because you probably had the flu years ago. You were probably vaccinated years ago. So all those B cells are still there. It's just that, in general, there are about 10 to the 8th B cells in the body at any one point in time. Right? Ones that have been there for a while, ones that came yesterday, one that came, I'll say, right, this is every few weeks, one that came 10 days ago. But the ones that came out 17 days ago, they're already gone. Okay, so these mature B cells, interleukin-4 is an activation factor. When we talked about cytokines, we talked about things like interleukin-4, interleukin-5, interleukin-6 being able to stimulate B cells. Okay, so here for mature B cells, interleukin-4 is the major sort of activation factor that we need to talk about. All right, so we're out in the periphery, and we're very happy. Because we came in contact with an antigen. So we're happy at two separate levels. The first level is, we're going to finally be able to do what we've been trained to do. 
right? We're going to respond to an antigen and try to kick its butt. The second reason we're very happy, now again, I'm not giving human-like characteristic to B cells. The second reason we're happy is we're going to live. Right? We're not going to die. We're going to be one of the 10 to the 8th. Right? We're not going to be one of the one percenters. We're going to be one of the 10 to the 8th that are going to be able to be there. Right? So, cells are stimulated by antigen, and we're going to get clonal expansion. Right? So we've talked about this. We can finally put this up. Right? We've seen this picture a couple of times over the course of the semester. Now we know everything we need to know about this picture. Right? Now we know why this has taken place. So here's our stem cell. We've rearranged, right? This is still antigen independent. We've made our rearrangements. We went from an immature cell to a mature, bless you, to a mature B cell, right? We have this membrane immunoglobulin, right? This monomeric IgM on the cell surface, which is our antigen receptor. We're out in the periphery. This guy is probably going to die. This one's going to die. This one's going to, but this one, Right? Here it is. Right? We've recognized an antigen, and now we undergo right, proliferation and differentiation. So, clonal selection. Now we're going to get out here, right? which will be our next step. Right? We're still not fully differentiated. Right? We're not fully differentiated here. Right? We can undergo another step, and that's what's going to take place during clonal selection that's taking place here. Right? We need to get as many of these B cells right out there and made because this B cell has important information, right? It's recognized this pathogen. It needs to respond to that pathogen. It needs to get all those antibody molecules out there so that they can bind to this pathogen, right? So now we undergo clonal selection to start making, making, making lots of antibody molecules, okay? So we're out there. Class switching can occur at this point. We've talked about this, right? Changing from IgM to IgG. Those class switch regions are going to be recognized. We're going to be exposed to probably interleukin-4 and interleukin-5 or interleukin-5 and interleukin-6. That's going to stimulate class switching. So we're basically going to stimulate, we're going to switch from, right, making IgM to making IgG. As we're, as we're switching from making IgM to making IgG, we're going to undergo some somatic hypermutation to get a higher affinity IgG molecule, right? Everything we talked about before when it, when it comes down to talking about immunoglobulin molecules, all these things are taking place. Differentiation is going to be, is going to be driven by direct T helper cell, right? via cell contact as those T helper cells are interacting with those MHC class II molecules on the surface because one of the things that we're going to do, remember, when this takes place is we're going to be able to phagocytose this and present it on the surface as a class II MHC molecules because B cells are antigen presenting cells. Okay, So we're going to be able to do that. Or indirect T helper cell contact, and that's by the release of those two of those T helper cells and those cytokine molecules that those T helper cells are releasing, like interleukin-4 and interleukin-5, we're going to be able to recognize and respond to because, like we talked about last Friday, we have interleukin-4 and interleukin-5 receptors on the cell surface. So all this stuff that we've, you know, sort of had before, we can now sort of tie all together. Cytokine interleukin-5 is a proliferation factor. Interleukin-6 is a differentiation factor. 
right, interleukin-6, along with other cytokines in the correct sort of environment, is going to be a class-switching mechanism. Right, so that's how we're going to go from making IgM to making IgG, make, maybe making IgA if we've taken up residence in the Peyer's patches. Right, so all these things are taking place to these B cells as they are maturing and as they are differentiating. Right? So we went from a mature B cell to an activated B cell, and now right, our B cell parents are so proud of us. We've reached what we wanted to do, right? We finally made it to be a plasma cell. Right? That's the next step. This is as far as it goes for these cells, right? All production of the cell is now dedicated to the secretion of the antibody molecule. Probably not so much IgM, but absolutely IgG those high affinity IgG molecules that we've been manufacturing, right? We've come into contact with antigen, somatic hypermutation, right? We're going to secrete thousands and thousands of antibodies per second. We are now an antibody factory. Once we turn into a plasma cell, it's full speed ahead to release IgG or IgA, whatever we're releasing, right? We're not going to be able to switch antibody classes at this point in time. We cannot act as an antigen-presenting cell anymore because we're no longer displaying MHC class II molecules. That doesn't matter anymore. We've been selected. Right? We're doing what we need to do, which is to pour antibodies out so they can come into contact with those pathogens right? so that other cells can be able to recognize them, right? Immune phagocytosis by macrophages, by dendritic cells, right? All those things are going to be able to take place, right? We don't take up antigen anymore because we no longer display significant quantities of, uh, of that immunoglobulin receptor on the cell surface anymore, right? Remember, when we talked about what's the difference between membrane IgM and secreted IgM or membrane immunoglobulin or secreted immunoglobulin, we're now, right, we're doing all of that RNA processing. We're just getting rid of all that cell, uh, the, 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 the cell cytoplasmic part and those membrane, you know, sort of interaction parts because we don't need to be a surface molecule anymore. So all those pieces are gone. It's all speed ahead for secretion of immunoglobulin molecules. So that's what we're doing. We are a plasma cell. Finally, we've grown up to be a plasma cell. Now, this whole, whoops, this whole sort of activity can be summed up with memory and specificity. We've been talking about memory for a while. We said that that's one of the hallmarks of the immune system. Right? If we really wanted to cut to the chase on the very first day of class, right, I could have put up this slide, and we wouldn't have had to have come back to class until today. But that wouldn't give you your educational you know, dollars worth. So we had to come all the way from where we started talking about right, nonspecific and cells and immunoglobulin molecules to get to this, the hallmark of the vertebrate immune response, right, which is memory. So the first contact with an antigen is the primary response. 
And during that first contact, IgM is going to be secreted, and eventually, plasma cells and memory B cells, we haven't talked about memory B cells yet, but that's the, going to be the important part when we talk about memory, right? The other thing we might want to be, right, when our parents send us off from the bone marrow and, and we enter the periphery, some of us want to be antibody factories, some of us want to be plasma cells, but a few chosen lucky ones are going to be memory B cells. And memory B cells are going to be with us for the rest of our lives. When you were inoculated, when you were one year old and two years old, this is you when you're one year old or two years old, or whatever your childhood vaccines are, right here. The primary response, right? Immunoglobulin is going to be secreted, memory B cells are going to be generated. And those memory B cells are going to stay with you for the rest of your life because of the secondary response. Okay? You will have remembered your encounter with this antigen. And you're going to have a knowledge base right, stored probably in your lymph node someplace just in case you come into contact, right? The next or subsequent contact with the same antigen is going to result in the secondary response. This is the memory. You've remembered that primary encounter with that antigen, with that pathogen. Okay? In the secondary response, right now IgG is going to be the predominant immunoglobulin because that class switch will have been made, so we're ready to go with that, with that high affinity IgG molecules. That peak antibody response is going to be a lot faster going to take anywhere from three to five days versus the seven to ten days that it took place with the primary response. And the response itself right, is going to be anywhere from a hundred to a thousand times higher. The amount of antibody molecules that are going to be produced and released are going to be significantly enhanced during the secondary response. So, if you want to talk about memory, Memory is the exposure of the immune system to a foreign antigen, which is going to enhance its ability to respond again to that same antigen. This is what separates us from the rest of the animals on the planet. Us meaning vertebrate animals. Right? Invertebrate animals do not have a memory response. They don't have a memory response because they don't have a, any immunoglobulin molecules. It's only animals with immunoglobulin molecules that are going to have memory and specificity. There's a little bit of research out there that suggests that invertebrates can have memory. Eh, it's a little fuzzy. People are still working on it. But in terms of specificity, absolutely. This is all about the vertebrate immune response. It's all about antibody molecules. It's all about T-cell receptors. Okay? So, what are we talking about when we're talking about memory and specificity? In general, right, this is the, the graph that defines the vertebrate immune response. So, serum antibody level, anywhere from nothing's happening to we got a whole bunch going on, and this is our timeline out here. So, you're sitting on the subway, somebody coughs, you breathe it in. Here's the pathogen comes inside, right? So this is antigen A, pathogen A, whatever you want to talk about it. 
a certain amount of time takes place, right, 10 days, 11 days or so, our primary response is IgM. Right? So we make antibodies to that antigen A, we knock down the, the, the sort of pathogen, IgM predominates, there could be some IgG that's taking place, but IgM is the major one, right, we knock it out so antibody levels rise, antibodies level fall, and here's our friend again, right, this double dashed line means a certain amount of time is going to now transpire. Now, this amount of time here, fill in the blank, weeks, months, years, decades. Right? I can't go above decades because people don't live to be you know, maybe 105 or so, so we'll stay with decades. So this could be decades. So this timeline right here, this timeline can go from here to Quincy, right? It's that long. So what we're talking about here is a certain amount of time goes by, and here we are, and in this cartoon, now we're exposed to antigen A and antigen B at the same time. So what's going to happen? The response to antigen A is going to be a secondary response. So now, instead of waiting, right, 10 days or so out here, now we're starting to see something take place out here in, right, six, seven days or so. And that peak response is a lot higher than it was over here. So we're getting lots and lots and lots of more antibodies being released, and most of these antibodies are now IgG. We know that this encounter with this pathogen is important because we've seen this one before. We've recognized this pathogen, so we've seen it before. So we're ready for it. So we have this IgG response, and eventually as we knock down the pathogen, we come back to zero. At the same time, antigen B has entered, and antigen B is undergoing a primary response. So this is going to be IgM, it's going to be 14 days, we're going to knock it down, we're going to be okay, and now we're, now we're on our way again. So we could do whatever we wanted with this graph, right? Let's say we put another uh, break here, we come out, now we respond to antigen A, antigen B, and antigen C. Right, so now we're going to get this antigen A, this antigen B, and this is going to be antigen C. Okay. So this is the primary response. We've remembered that because we've stored the information that we need in memory B cells, and now those memory B cells are activated, and we get the secondary response. Okay, so lymphocytes being lymphocytes, we can also see this in T cells. So we're going to set up an experiment here where we're going to graft in some sort of tissue. It's a foreign tissue. We reject it after 14 days. We come back at some time later on and put the same, right, the same tissue from the same strain. We get a very, we get a faster response to when that tissue is going to be rejected. And we're also going to get, because we have, right, we have graft from strain B, graft from strain C, C comes out and it's rejected, but the B, right, undergoes a primary response. So lymphocytes being lymphocytes, we can see the same response in T cells as we see in the B cells. Okay. So this is why we get vaccinated when we're little kids. Okay. 
because we are going to experimentally induce the primary response. We're not going to allow nature to induce the primary response. We're going to invoke the primary response because we're doing that because we're terrified of that pathogen. Mm. Take your choice. Smallpox, polio, right? Uh, diphtheria, what are things that we're vaccinated to when we were little kids, right? Probably, right, all sorts of different things. And when we give those vaccines, we're giving those attenuated strains. Right? So the attenuated strains are, right, attenuated strains are strains that are, that are grown and they're going to mutate so that they're only going to be able to grow in a sort of a media in vitro now. Right? So they're not going to be as potent, they're not going to be as virulent. Or we're going to heat and activate the pathogen. And as long as the pathogen stays right, to a certain state so that when we inject it in, we're able to recognize, or our, our immune system is able to recognize cell surface molecules. Our immune system is capable of recognizing secreted molecules. Right? We're trying to build up our memory B cells. So if we ever come into contact with the, with the, with the evil twin, right? the real pathogen, the potent pathogen, we're going to be ready to respond. We're not going to risk, and I mean we as in public health officials, as in physicians, as in right, responsible citizens, we're not going to risk the fact that we're not going to survive right, when that real polio virus enters our body, or when that real diphtheria organism enters our body, or that real whatever we're vaccinated against as little kids enters our body. We have a step up already. We've already, we've already done the primary response. And those memory B cells are sitting in our, in our lymph nodes, they're sitting in our spleens, they're sitting wherever they're sitting, and they're just waiting there. And God forbid we ever need to call them, but they're there. So we have an edge, right? That's what we have done. We've experimentally induced the immune response. We've experimentally induced the primary response to protect ourselves at some future time point so that right, we're not going to give that diphtheria organism or the, the virus, the polio virus, we're not going to give that polio virus 14 days anymore eh, you know, with this sort of tepid response, let's say. Right? We're going to be able to come out and within a very short amount of time release everything we got Right? Because we have that head start already. We've given ourselves this head start. Right? We've already done this. Right? You had this done to you, right? I'll say 20 years ago, right? 18 years ago, 19 years ago. I had it done to me a long time ago. Right? So my B cells are sitting, my B cells have been sitting in my lymph nodes, right? The same type of B cells, because I probably was vaccinated with stuff. I've been vaccinated against other stuff, right, that might be helpful for me in case there's a biological attack, right? I was one of the last of the generation to be, to be immunized against smallpox. So if smallpox ever becomes weaponized, good luck, everybody. <laughs> right? I might, have, I might have a fighting chance. So, right, 
whatever this sort of break is, right? Sorry, all due respect. Whatever this, whatever this break is right here, right? We've already done all of this. This has already been done just in case, right? 30 years from then, right? or 20 years ago for me, but, you know, 10 years from now for you guys, or 20 years from now, or 50 years, or 60 years from now, right? I, I wish you all of that 60 years from now, right? If that takes place, our B cells are going to be there waiting for us. So what do we know about memory B cells, right? So memory B cells are the other type of cell that we want to grow up to be when we leave the bone marrow, right? Antibody factories, plasma cells, they're okay. But again, remember when we've talked about this before, right? So here are our mature B cells, right? They're going to become activated B cells. They're going to become plasma cells. Right? We've got to knock these right back down. So all these plasma cells are probably going to die by apoptosis, right? After we don't need them anymore. All those plasma cells are going to die. Somewhere in here, we're going to make those memory cells. Right? Somewhere in there, we're going to make those memory cells. If we go back and look at that, right, that other one right here. We got some memory cells, we got some plasma cells, we got memory cells, right? After we undergo clonal selection and after we undergo clonal expansion, we got to come back to, right, to, to baseline, to homeostasis. So these plasma cells, see ya, they're gone. These memory cells are going to stay. So what do we know about memory cells? Yeah, not a lot. We know they're important. We know that we can see a few distinguishing characteristics. Right? They have surface IgG or surface IgA molecules. They have reduced right, surface IgD. They have a high number of adhesion molecules. They have a high number of complement receptors. Eh, we don't know so much about memory cells. We know that things are taking place. We know that they're found in germinal centers. And germinal centers are specialized B cell rich areas in the lymph node and the spleen. Right? So we have, a, we have a, a very specific place where we're going to store our memory B cells. Because right? remember, those memory B cells, right, they've already been part of the fight. We need to keep them around right? so we will remember that encounter and be there to destroy. So we're going to keep them in, this, right, in the germinal centers so they'll be able to Right, be right in the middle of the lymph nodes, right in the middle of the spleen. So remember when we talked about the architecture as those sort of lymph from the tissue spaces comes out and it drizzles through the lymph node, right? Those B cells could respond to that almost instantly as it's coming along. They will they they survive much longer than mature B cells. If a mature B cell doesn't come into contact with the antigen, two weeks later it's dead. Memory B cells the rest of your life, they're going to be around. They express high affinity membrane immunoglobulin receptors, right? These are just sort of things that we know about memory B cells. Current models suggest that the memory cells and the plasma cells arrive from different lineages, right? Each of which clonally expands following primary antigen stimulation. So what it means is we're not going from 
right? We're not going from immature to mature to plasma to memory. Some sort of, right, as these cells are proliferating, some sort of signal is going to take place. Some of, right, some of this division go to memory cell, some of this division go to plasma cell. We know a little bit about that. We'll talk about it in a second. So, what do we know? Right? Between naive B cells and memory B cells. Yeah, we can sort of look at things, right? Naive B cells are in the spleen and the tissue spaces, lymph nodes, bone marrow for memory B cells, short-lived na right? naive B cells, B cells that haven't come into contact yet, right? long-lived, they can recirculate, they have a low affinity, they have a higher affinity due to affinity maturation, right? Even though they're memory B cells, they've still undergone hypermutation to make those high affinity IgG receptors, right? Low amount of adhesion molecules, high amount of adhesion molecules, right? Low amount of complement receptors, high amount of complement receptors, right? We're just sort of getting a feel for what these cells are now, right? How they're generated. There's a hypothesis out there in terms of generation of these cells. It's called asymmetric se uh, segregation right, of cell fate determination. So, what we're talking about here is this is a picture for T cells, right? Generation of a memory cell. So, T cells can have memory generation, right? B cells can as well, but a lot of this research has been done with T cells. And the, the sort of, the current idea is this asymmetric, right, segregation. So, certain pieces of the cell membrane itself are going to segregate into certain areas of the cell membrane. When this, when this cell divides, right, if you look over here, right, this is the armament of the cell. So, if this was, for instance, a B cell, this would be all immunoglobulin molecules on the cell surface and a whole bunch of, uh, of associated molecules that the B cells would need to talk to, dendritic cells or T helper cells. So during cell division, this would turn into the plasma cell. Right? So down here, the other information would be transmitted during this division to this cell, that's the asymmetric, and then this cell is now going to become a memory T cell. So it's going to divide to be a memory T cell, this is going to divide to become a plasma cell. This cell will eventually, or this cell and its lineage, will eventually be destroyed by apoptosis because we don't need them anymore. This cell will divide and take up residence in the spleen and the lymph node. It appears that this is the way in which these memory cells are going to be generated. And, right, this lives up to the model here. Right, so we get this asymmetric segregation, so asymmetric segregation, memory cell and plasma cell. Not from plasma to memory or not from memory to plasma. Right, so how could we get two separate sort of lineages of cells from the same precursor that appears to be the way it works? Right, we're going to have this cell division, we're going to get this, this sort of uh, switch in armament switch in sort of the way in which these cells are going to, are going to be able to function for the rest of their cellular lives, right? These are going to be the effector cells, the antibody factories, these are going to be the memory cells, okay? So they're all, right, if you think about back here, 
Remember, they've all been chosen by clonal selection. We're just sort of looking at a couple of steps later so that now the switch from memory cell to uh, memory cell to, to plasma cell or here, right, memory T cell to effector T cell. So the same idea appears to be taking place that way as well. When it comes to memory, right, some studies have been done just to see how long right, these B cells are potentially going to last. Okay? So people have been looking at antibody half-lives. Okay? And we're going to look at antibody half-lives and we're going to get people who were vaccinated at certain times in their lives and we're going to take some cells from that person and we're going to be able to stimulate those cells and we're going to see if at different, life, uh, at different times in a person's lifespan, if those cells are still there and still capable of responding to antigen. And as it turns out, the answer is unbelievably yes. So, if we're looking at antibody half-life and we'll look at total population, there are sex differences and people think they are hormonal, so let's look at total population. Right? So you think about things that are sort of short-lived and you're thinking about tetanus, right? You do something, right? You step on a rusty nail, you have a cut, you go to the emergency room, right? The ER nurse says, when was the last time you had a tetanus shot? And you go, it was boom. By the time you even get out, you are, I'm not quite, you already have one, right? Because tetanus is very short-lived, right? The amount of half-life for tetanus is about 10 years or so. So that's why they say you have to be vaccinated with tetanus every 10 years or so. So that's why when you go to the ER, if you can't remember, that's why you get your shot. But look at other things out here, right? Here's mumps and measles. Here's rubella, right? Vaccinia, if you look at chickenpox. 92 years, 114 years, right? 11,000 years that these B cells could be able to be able to respond. So when they talk about, when I talk about long-lived memory cells, this is what I'm talking about, right? These cells are basically going to be with you 92 years for the rest of your life, right? We'll talk more about B cells on Friday.